Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is from Psalm 44, 9 through 18. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning to our community here in L.A. And as always, good morning to our friends who drop in and eavesdrop for a bit as well. All are welcome. We are in a third week of a six-week series we've called Healing and Lament. And for each week, we've been alternating between the two different types of lament, individual lament and communal lament. And this week, we touch on communal lament again. Brief definition. What is lament? Biblical version of lament. Lament is grief, but not just sadness. Grief at what should be, but is not and grief at what should not be, but currently is. Uh, We discovered that lament is not confession. It's also not a place where you brainstorm solutions to the problems. It is simply grief, and there is healing in that. I was talking to a very good guy, close friend, going through some intense suffering. Very intense suffering. Not everyday suffering. And he was talking about God and he said, earnestly, authentically, how could he do this to me? And he didn't even realize it. But what spilled out was lament, a Psalm 44 lament. He said, you know, I have followed him. I've done the program. I've worshipped him. I've cut out all the things, like I stopped carousing, I I, I stopped sleeping around, I stopped cheating my boss, I I stopped swearing, okay, maybe not on bowling night or when I work on my boat, but like I stopped swearing, I I started staying home at night, getting my kids to church, I began volunteering, I took a position of leadership in the church, there are hundreds of hours I've given unpaid. I've given hundreds of thousands of dollars away. 
I've started date nights and counseling with my wife. Uh, and he, I mean, he he said this. He goes, I, I listen to sermons and podcasts all the time. Like when I'm on the plane, when I'm in my car, at my desk, in the background. I get up every morning. Like I read, I read the word. Like I'm trying to know him and follow him. And I I put these verses in my vehicles, so, so on the dashboard and underneath the the visor. I'm trying to keep him before me. And again, just just that deep, deep, like, how could he do this to me? How could he do this to me? Um, that's a lament. More specifically, that's a Psalm 44 lament. I'm going to review and paraphrase Psalm 44 now, and it might be helpful if you opened up Psalm 44 on your phone. They also made a print edition of that app as well. It's called the Bible. Um, you can use that or the or the text in the online bulletin. And it might help when I when I paraphrase uh, the thoughts of the psalmist. It might help to see the corresponding language so that you know that I'm not making it up. In fact, in many instances, David is much sharper than my paraphrase. Uh, so part one is verses one through eight. And David is, is talking to God. And in essence, he's saying this, okay, we, we've heard the old, old stories about you. We've heard them. We know, we know that you, that you took out the nations, but you caused your own little nation state to survive and thrive. We've heard those stories. We know we know that your little nation, we know that they didn't have an army, they didn't have the numbers, they didn't have the strength, they didn't have some established, cool military industrial complex. We know that you did it, God. We know that it was your muscle. In fact, David says, we know it was your delight. We know that you wanted it for them. It came out of your pleasure. Like, we know you're the king. We know you're on top. We know it. We trust it. There's zero doubt there. We're not doubting that. Um, we know that the, and this is David's phrase, we know that the sword and the bow didn't save us. It didn't preserve us. We know that Israel is this laugh, laughable historical anomaly. Like it's the only tiny little nation state in in history in the world with no world-class army and navy to survive to modern day. All right? So David might have a modern update, and I'm paraphrasing this. Like, we know that our analysis didn't win the day. We know our smarts didn't win the day. We know our savvy and our persistence and our strategies and our late-night emails and our political moves and our friendships and our networks and our partnerships and our alliances. We know that that didn't really get us anywhere. Like, we know that. We know it's you. We get that. We really have given you all the credit you deserve, God. You cause our opponents to be frustrated and our general welfare rises. And look, we're grateful. We give thanks to your name forever. That's, that's the first eight verses of Psalm 44. And that moves into part two. And you can look, follow along. It's verses nine through 16. David shifts tone a little bit. Not a little bit, a lot. He says, you know what, though? It doesn't seem like you're 
for us anymore. I'm actually being too nice. David's words are sharper than my paraphrase. Uh, you hate us. Hate. He's talking to God. Um, you dis you disgraced us. You rejected us. Um, you scattered us. Um, we're not unified. You sold us for nothing. The word is kind of a, a tri you sold us for trifle. You sold us for pennies. You don't care. You sold us out. Redemption? Huh. Whatever. You don't care that we're taunted. You don't care that we're scorned. You don't care if we're mocked. We don't, you don't care if we're derided. You don't care if people respect us. You don't. It, it, you know what? People think that we're the problem now, and people laugh at our beliefs, and people laugh at our intelligence, and people people laugh at our backwards ways, and they laugh at our convictions, and people think we're kind of done. We're over. We're dying out. We're anti. We're basically uh, antique, religious antiques. But David's not done, so that's part, kind of a part two. Part three, verses 17 through 22. David starts to throw some daggers. And God, do you want to know why people laugh at us and reject us and scorn us? This is David's phrase. All this has come upon us because of you, God. Like, we didn't forget you. Okay, We didn't slip up. We didn't stop worshiping you. We didn't stop believing in you. We didn't stop giving thanks to you. We kept the covenant. Our heart is with you, big guy. We walked rightly. We walked correctly. We walked carefully. We walked conscientiously. Now let's talk about you, God. This is David. You've, alright, you've broken us down. This is an incredibly poetic imagery that David gives. He says, you, you broke us down. The car broke down in a place of vulnerability. The imagery that David used says, um, you broke us down in a place of jackals. So out in the middle of nowhere, when at our weakest, there would be those to descend and just chew us up. No protection, no shelter. David says this, don't you think if we were really chasing idols, you would know? We would know, but we didn't chase idols. Verse 22, David goes, but for your sake, we kept the rules for your sake. We're just killed all day long. We're the innocent sheep that gets slaughtered by the jackals. Sounds like Romans 8. Here's the point. David's point is this. He said, look, God, we've upheld our end of the deal and you didn't. Now look. Look at it how could he do this to me? As my friend said, how could he do this to me? Side note. Is it incredible to you? It's incredible to me. Is it incredible that this is allowed as scripture? Here's a lyrical opportunity to be self-righteous and God-disappointed all at the same time. Um, God, we were good and you messed up. 
uh, in my house, in my house, my my, my fa with my family, my real family, right? Um, if you want to make someone very, very mad, mad enough to throw a game controller, you can say this phrase very fast. You lose, I win, high score. You lose, I win, high score. That's David's twist. We're good. You messed up. What's up? He, he, this is the amazing thing about Psalm 44 is God lets us lament in a self-righteous way. He lets us lament in a way that makes himself look bad. I mean, you get this. Haven't you felt this? Like in your workplace? Even, even with a spouse or, or a relationship or, 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 or conflict. Like, I've been conscientious. I have worked hard. Like, I've tried to keep my nose clean. I've tried to honor you, God. I've tried to obey you. I've tried to worship you. I've tried to follow you. You know it too, God. I mean, my reports are on time. You know it. The people around us are cutting corners. You know that I get up early. You know I stay up late. How could you do this to me when I do all that? I was in a hearing recently. And there were two defendants that used this phrase. We have conducted ourselves righteously in every way. Which is a very, very strange way to present yourself at a hearing. But who says that in that way? Righteously in every way? Hmm, I don't know about that. Who says that? It's us who say that. When we feel right, when we feel certain, when we can point to just a huge body of hard, hard work. See, when we're defending our behavior, when we think our goodness will surely be the thing that is seen and gets us good things in return. Who says that? People who try super hard. Um, there's a pejorative term in online gaming circles that I've picked up from my kids. Ask your junior higher or ask your high schooler. And the term is try hard. So I'll use it in a sentence for you. Um, that stupid try hard just beat me. Or that dumb little try hard so if you want a more formal definition, a try-hard try is a person with very little talent who's trying very hard to succeed, especially by copying and mimicking, um, just to get popularity, fame for their success. And really, this is, this is kind of the, they're putting too much effort into something that should probably just be recreational. So I, I asked a neighbor kid, I, I said, okay, but what if you try really hard and you're the try hard, but then you start to win and you're, what if you're the one trying hard and your success brings you fame and popularity? 
And without skipping a beat, he said, oh, then I'm not a tryhard. I'm just good. <laughs> I'm just good. When we say to God, how could you do this to me? I'm not even a tryhard. I'm just good. That's what we're saying. But David turns up the... Uh, boy, he, he pushes the stakes higher and turns up the volume. He says, you know, we were the righteous ones. You, God, let us down. We upheld the covenant. You, oh God, you are the covenant breaker. And that's just really sad. I'm really sad at, at, at your performance, God. Now, why is this lament allowed? Because to my ears, it seems blasphemous. It seems dangerous, thin ice sort of thing. Like, why mess with the God who holds your fortunes in his palms? Like, why poke the bear? Why agitate the one who, who decides the lots? Let me paraphrase the last section, part four, verses 23 through 26. Um, the tone almost gets sarcastic. He's talking to God. Hey, you! Wake up! Consider this an alarm! It's like he's ringing the bell at the front desk repeatedly. Ding, 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 God! Ding, 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 wake up! Ding, 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 ding. Annoying. Yes. It's in direct contradiction to Psalm 121. He who watches over Israel does not sleep or slumber. And David's saying, ding, 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 wake up, God. Why does God allow those kind of thoughts, that kind of lament, that do not line up with the rest of his word? Why does he allow it? Hey, you, you need to look at us. You need to show up. Hey, you, you probably need not to ignore oppression and affliction. You need to get off your hands, okay, God? You need to keep track, account, God. Our souls are dusty and dried up. I don't have emotions for this anymore. Get up, rise up. Can you hear a spouse uh, maybe saying, um, a little help here, please? Like, can't you see? You need a, David literally says, you need to throw down some cash for us. You need to redeem us back. Do, do you know what kind of lament Psalm 44 is? It's the lament of the older brother. Uh, Jesus has this parable, Luke 15, and he calls the parable a man with two sons. And we know about the younger brother, okay? Uh, he gets the cash grab, asks for an early inheritance. He gets the land. He promptly sells the land. He goes to a modern city. He gets a baller pad. He literally drinks and pees it away. Wine, women, and wonderful experiences. He is the classic, the younger brother is a classic covenant breaker. And he's breaking the covenant through wonderful physical sensations, straight up hedonism, Satisfy all your nerve endings. Go. Okay, now, we know the, the prodigal son, the younger brother, right? Um, the older brother doesn't get much airtime. Why, why does the older brother not get much airtime? Because he's at home. 
managing things properly, not making headlines. He's waking up. He's doing the responsibilities. He's keeping his nose clean. He's organizing constantly. He makes his bed. He stays quiet. He has a checklist. He completes his checklist. All right, here's the headline for the older brother. Local man wakes up and does exactly what he's supposed to do. Right? Paparazzi don't show up to watch you do the same daily routines, the same dishes, the same meal preps, the same cleaning, the same maintenance. TMZ will not pay for that one video where you carefully clean behind the faucet and you folded the 19th load of laundry and then you listen to your five-year-old yell at you about how you made the PB&J sandwich incorrectly and the sun is too hot. Yeah, that, that video is not interesting. So you know the story. Um, younger bro comes home. Dad is elated. He is compassionate. He's effusive even. And the party gets revved up. Barbecue, music, new clothes, dancing. And the older bro, where's the older bro? Oh, that's right. He's out working. Doing good things. Taking care of business. And he hears all the commotion. And he goes, uh, what's all this now? Um, the servant tells him, and the older bro's like, uh, nah. Really? Okay, okay, no way. I'm staying out here working, doing the right things. I'll just be out here continuing to do all the right things. He's lamenting, isn't he? He's angry. I follow the program. Oh, nah, 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 nah. Dad comes out to where the older bro is doing all the right things and working and not disappointing dad. And dad says, but dad says this, he says, you know, hey, come in, party with us, eat with us, <laughs> get something to drink, dance with us. Come on, come on, clock out, clock out. That's dad. And as, as they say in the South, um, come get you a plate. Let's go. Let's party a little bit. And the older bro says, no, no, no. Do you not see my body of work? Like I've done everything for you. How could you do this to me? Jesus tells the parable in this way. The older brother says, um, You've told me to do something? I did it. I did it. I've been obedient. And in all this time, all these years, you know what? Like, you didn't throw me a party. You didn't even give me a goat. I have expanded your property. And he used your property on prostitutes. Like, do you just not see this? Like, I'm loyal to you, and he's not. Do you not see that I'm good, and he's not? Do, do you not see that I'm conscientious, and he doesn't keep track of anything? He loses it. Unbelievable. I have held up my contract, and now you reward that nonsense? I, I want you to notice something small and something huge all at the same time. In Luke 15, Luke 15 tells us that the older brother says this, I've obeyed and done whatever you've commanded. 
It's a small little throwaway line. But then dad says, hey, I want you to come in and party. And what does the older brother say? No. I won't do that. The older bro is disobedient just like the younger brother but in a completely different way. How? Oh, I was going to get my father's love through all of my correct works. Not because of the father's love but because of me. That's a Psalm 44 lament. Why does God allow this nonsense to be spoken out loud? Why does he give real, valuable, scriptural space to Psalm 44? Why does he give scripture space to nonsense? It's like allowing Alex Jones to have a minute of Super Bowl ad time. Really? Really? Why? Why allow all that QAnon garbage the smallest of footholds? Why would you do that? Why would you even allow Psalm 44 to be uttered, O oh God? I don't know if I have a full answer here, but I think I have a partial one, and I think it's very similar to Jesus telling the self-satisfied rich young ruler and this guy thought he had done all of the law and was just like this perfect example of goodness, of righteousness. And Jesus says, okay, 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 okay. You think you're good. Okay, all you have to do is sell all your cool stuff and give to the poor and follow me. What was Jesus doing? For the first time, the rich young ruler was allowed to hear himself and to see himself and to see his own heart. He goes away sad because he knew that he loved money too much. He was allowing the rich young ruler to see that he loved money over everything else. So in Psalm 44, in giving voice to nonsense, I'm praying that we see our own nonsense. Like when we say it aloud, we hear how off it is. That's happened to me in prayer. It happened to me this past week in prayer. Um, this had nothing to do with our way community. But I was very angry. I was very upset. And I was very frustrated. So I, I start praying. And I'm angry. And I'm mad in prayer. I'm frustrated in prayer. And I want my opponents to see their error. So I'm telling God all about it. I'm telling God about how I'm right. I'm telling God about how they are wrong. I'm telling God about how I've lost reputation and resources and lost relationships. And I'm telling God. And I say, you know what? I just hate what they're doing. And I hate what they do to me. And I think I hate them. I'm praying this to God. I think I hate them. And I'm praying. And as I'm praying, it's coming out. It's coming out. It's coming out. And then as I'm praying, I see it. Ah, oh, Tim, how different are you from your opponent? Oh, Tim, don't you see now, like, I've lost reputation and riches and so, so that you would be rescued from all of your nonsense? Oh, Tim, your heart is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Tim, it's not about them, is it? No. Oh, Tim... We've got soul work to do on you, don't we? Yeah. Oh, Tim, don't you see this is about you? Yeah. It shifted on me. 
in approaching him, lamenting my nonsense. It ended up convicting me, showing me my craziness, showing me my error, showing my my wrong-headedness, showing me my wrong-heartedness. It got to me. I think that's what a Psalm 44 lament does. It's the lament of the rule follower. We're lamenting. We're lamenting, oh, God's covenant with us is not the guarantee of my dreams. God's covenant with us is not a dream catcher. We're lamenting. Oh, I'm lamenting that my dreams and my script and my imaginations of how life should go is not what happens. I'm lamenting the dying of my script. We're lamenting in Psalm 44 of seeing that I I really wanted the Father's gifts more than I wanted the Father himself. I'm lamenting that. How off I was. Psalm 44, we're, we're lamenting. I'm, I'm lamenting my self-righteousness. My, my, I'm lamenting my laughable correctness. I lament my rule following. And I don't mean this. We don't lament obedience. But we lament that my rule following and my obedience earns us anything. That's what we're lamenting. Psalm 44 is lamenting this. I was counting on getting in by my good works after all. And it's just exposed to me again. That no, no, you're not. I'm lamenting that I'm a recovering Pharisee who has hate towards Pharisees. I'm lamenting, I'm lamenting that I've contributed in building a community that is far more far more concerned with 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 proving our awesomeness and how we look more than bringing relief to those who do not feel awesome we're lamenting psalm 44 is a lament where where um, we see in our heads and our hearts like oh you know what i really don't honor rule breakers i really don't look at at my fellow brother or sister who's a rule breaker and I don't look at them and say, you know, the spirit is greater in you than the flesh that I know. No, I get so caught up in the flesh and I lament that. I lament that I don't honor them. I don't party with them. I don't dance with them coming back to Jesus. No, I still have disdain that they are rule breakers and I'm a rule follower. See, we're lamenting. We're lamenting that we've built a community that desires to look great more than making Jesus great. Like we're lamenting that we've built this community that is more concerned about doing non-risky, safe, reasonable, careful, non-offensive things rather than to be a community that trusts the Father's heart. In all the lament of Psalm 44, (laughs) We gradually see our nonsense. And we end up lamenting our own nonsense. And David ends it, Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast, that is, your ongoing, persevering, non-stopping, unconditional love. That's steadfast. That's chesed love. 
we're reminded again at the very, very end of this psalm, oh, it is not my rule following and my devotion and my dedication and love that secured your favor and our fate. Look, the younger brother didn't love dad, but the older brother didn't love dad anymore either. What was the point? The point was the father's love was bigger. The father's love is unwavering. And it has never wavered. Romans 8 echoes back to Psalm 44. When Paul picks up and says, hey, we're being killed out here. We're being slaughtered like sheep all day long. How could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? Do you know how Romans 8 ends? All of that will never, ever, ever separate you from my love. Height, death, powers, death. No, no. Not even your self-righteous lament will separate you from my steadfast, ongoing love. And so, Jesus purchased Psalm 44 lament for our community so rule followers could walk through it and hear its nonsense and be warmed by the Father's love all over again. Jesus, you did redeem, you did purchase the right, the ability for your people to come before your throne in self-righteous indignation and God disappointment and instead of receiving a fist we see our deep nonsense and are reconciled to you Jesus do this in our hearts as we lament even our own brand of lament and heal us in your power and in your name. Amen.